One summer in the mid-1970s, when I was about seven or eight, a bus arrived in Ballinrobe, County Mayo. Now, its arrival had been discussed with much excitement for weeks beforehand, anticipated. But the excitement was tinged with something else, interwoven with something harder to identify exactly for a seven or eight-year-old. I didn't have the right vocabulary at the time to name it, but it was a kind of sadness or perhaps trepidation. And the fact that the adults, you know, Mammy, Mrs. Galvin, Sister Rosario, seemed determined to pretend it wasn't there at all and talked about the imminent arrival of the bus with a jollity that even me and Dee Biggins from across the road could tell was a bit forced, well, made it all the more curious. Because after all, it was a bus full of kids, you know, like us, coming for a holiday in Ballinrobe, and that was exciting because nobody came for holidays in Ballinrobe County Mayo, you know, except for the occasional cousin or a granny. Something in me sensed, though, that it was a delicate subject. So with all the subtlety a seven or eight-year-old could muster, I asked my mammy about it. Mammy, you know the bus children coming to stay with us? Are they weird? <laughs> no, she assured me. They aren't weird. They were, she told me, from Derry in Northern Ireland, a place I only knew from the telly. It was always on the telly. I'd never been there, but I didn't like it. It was kind of scary. It was always exploding or smoking after exploding, and people with hard accents were always shouting or upset. Well, except for Diana. She was lovely, but she left Derry and went to Eurovision, so I don't think she liked it much either. <laughs> Mammy said the children were coming to Ballinrobe and other towns to give them a break from the troubles and looked at me as if I was supposed to know what she meant. And I suppose I did. I didn't say it to Mammy then, but it seemed pretty weird to me. We all walked up to Corn Market to welcome the bus and the bus children. Everyone was jolly and happy, you know, like when we were waiting for the school band to come back from the band contest, having not lost. There was a little cheer when the bus appeared and lots of waving as it pulled up and then the bus kids got off and they looked almost like us and not weird. But they did look a little weird. I mean, just a little though, their clothes were a bit different and they looked awkward and shy. And all the mammies were hugging them and asking them questions about the long journey. And when they answered, well, they totally did have weird accents. <laughs> Two girls, sisters, came to stay with us in our house. They were nice, like Dana. <laughs> when we got home, we showed them where they were going to be sleeping. And Mammy made tea. And then the older girl dug in her suitcase and pulled out a present for Mammy, which their Mammy had sent down with them to say thank you. And we all watched as my mammy made a big show of saying, oh, thank you, and unwrapping it with great care until a moment later, my nice, polite mammy, who had been partly raised in England and whose childhood best friend we called Auntie and whose very English family we would visit on their very Protestant farm in deepest Cheshire and eat their deliciously crumbly Protestant cheese and drink their tingly homemade British cider. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mammy was now holding a rubber bullet on a display stand and with the words Bloody Sunday 1972 printed along its metal casing. I didn't know what that meant exactly, but I knew it was a giant bullet, and that was very exciting. But I also knew my mammy, and that's why I could tell that there was something funny about her wide-eyed delight and her over-effusive thank yous and the big show of putting it on the dresser in the living room, which was weird. I didn't actually visit Northern Ireland myself till I was 17. I was considering going to our college in Belfast, and I went up on a day trip, you know, laden down with my big portfolio to see the college and do the admissions interview. The day started disappointingly. 
for which I blame Captain Kirk. <laughs> you know, he and his mission to boldly go where no man has gone before set aboard you know, the Starship Enterprise. Well, it set up impossibly high expectations for its namesake, the Enterprise, the train to Belfast from Connolly Station. <laughs> <laughs> Though, in a way, it did feel to me as if this unremarkable train was boldly taking me to another world, or perhaps more accurately, anyway, to a parallel world, you know, which seemed the same at first glance, but in which things were just slightly off, you know, just enough to be mildly unsettling, just enough to make Belfast seem, well, weird. I mean, it looked like Ireland and had names like Ireland. There was Tato and Weather and Light, just like Ireland, but... The train station floor was rubber, like in a train station in London. And the money was different, and the taxis were black, and the radio they played in the taxis were the BBC, and the bread was called Veda. <laughs> and on the train home, a polite but disinterested soldier got on and asked to see my passport and poke my portfolio, which was weird. I was 30 before I really got to know Belfast. Every Thursday for a few years, myself and my friend Veda would take the non-Starship Enterprise to Belfast uh, to do a regular gig at Belfast's big gay club, the Kremlin. By then, thanks to the Good Friday Agreement, the border had become invisible and no one asked for ID and nobody poked our bags, for which we were grateful, with our two bags full of wigs and makeup and ladies' heels in suspiciously large sizes. And every week, the little weirdnesses well, they lost their weirdness by familiarity and it started to feel ordinary, or mostly ordinary anyway, because there were always other little weirdnesses to discover. Once, while chatting to a barman in the club we worked in, he said he came from a mixed marriage. And I thought, well, he must have been adopted because he didn't look mixed race to me. <laughs> and even in the gay bars, which had always been mixed, you know, people still avoided giving their last names or saying what part of the city they came from and definitely not the school they went to. And they all thought Vader was named after a malt bread. <sighs> the thing about the past is that it's never actually in the past. The past doesn't just pass by, it lingers in the present. It passes by, but trails tendrils behind it that slip and wisp to the present, often unnoticed, but occasionally getting tangled in today. And like a poltergeist, it can shift or push or knock things over, sometimes suddenly. It leaves grooves that we are hardly aware of until we trip in one. And sometimes we do forget. We forget so entirely that we stumble into a groove we once knew well, but now we don't even recognize it. And before we know what's happened, we're back where we've already been. Before you know it, there's a disinterested soldier poking your bag, and it doesn't seem weird at all. It seems all too familiar. 